Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it's Sai, and welcome to Ace Podcast Nation. Uh, you can find podcasts, interviews, and content on a variety of subjects, including mental health, football, films, TV, conspiracy theories, wrestling, music, and more. Uh, today's guest is the editor of Kick Magazine and WWE Kids Magazine, host of 90s football podcast Alive and Kicking. Bloody love the 90s. <laughs> wrestling origins podcast as well as being one quarter of the biggest wrestling podcast as previously heard on Talksport 2 the gorilla gorilla position should i say uh, i'm very excited to ask, welcome ash rose to the show welcome ash well thank you very much for having me it's a it's a pleasure to talk to you yeah it's good it's just looking you've got a long list of a uh, long list of podcasts uh, going on there yeah, it's a it's a busy time. Yeah, I like to keep uh, keep busy, but sometimes uh, I, I can't keep track myself, to be honest. But yeah, any chance to to chat, usually nostalgia. But yeah, wrestling, football, they seem to be the main avenues. But yeah, we've we've got, I've got a few going on at the moment, but it's just fun times. Yeah, and I think it's this. What I found since I've been doing that this in the whole six weeks is it's quite fun. Talk about football, talk about wrestling, uh, done some sort of films and Marvel and stuff. And you've done a couple of shows on mental health, which are a bit more serious and emotional. But uh, you know, it's it's good fun. It's, I think I think it's it's easier to do if you're talking about stuff that you're interested in and you're passionate about. Yeah, oh, yeah, totally. That's you know, I'm very in a privileged position that I get to work on these things that um, I've always loved. I, you know, first and foremost, I'm a fan. Uh, I'm a football fan. I'm a wrestling fan, and. I, I'm just very lucky that I get to to do these things uh, every day for a living. Uh, my wife doesn't always agree because uh, she's not she's not the biggest fan of either of them. But yeah, it's 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 a fun time. It's you know it's been a big week this week with the WWE tour. So um, those weeks are always very manic, and we've done some great stuff for WWE Kids magazine. Uh, it, so yeah, I'm really enjoying what, what's what's been going on. And uh, we've managed to get the Gorilla Vision Boys in for a podcast as well, which we haven't done for a while. So that just went out last night, I think. So. 
yeah, we've had a, a very, very busy week, but a very, very enjoyable one. Yeah, also, I'm lucky. My, um, my wife doesn't mind football, so I'm lucky in that respect, in that she likes, you know, she's kind of a fan herself, so she, she likes football, so it's not too much of a, an issue if the football's on or we're talking football, uh, but wrestling she does not get to talk <laughs> no uh, my wife used to she has a brother who used to watch it uh, back in the day like we all did grow up you know in the 90s and when it was massive the first boom period over here so she she understands it she gets it but yeah it's it's been gone for my guilty pleasure and now i'm actually working on it for wwe kids she'll accept it um but yeah she's not the biggest fan but you know i'll, I'll get there in the end i'll get there in the yeah. end so let's start with your work as a um, editor so editor of kick magazine and WWE Kids. Um, how did you sort of, how did that come about? I mean, it seems like the dream job of writing about and talking about football and wrestling. Um, did you always want to sort of go into that type of thing? Like yeah. Writing? Yeah, I did. I think, well, like any sort of kid, I wanted to be a footballer first and foremost. Then you realise you've got two left feet and then that dream kind of goes out the window. So the next best thing for me, I've always from a very early age I was very boring I knew what I wanted to do and that was write about football um I never really thought about writing about wrestling I, it, it wasn't an avenue that you kind of thought about as a kid because it was just kind of a fun hobby um but football yeah you know I've always wanted to be a magazine writer you know there are very different avenues you can go in especially sort of newspapers but I've never really been interested in match reporting I like the kind of feature type a bit of a magazine geek you know I like ma yeah. I, yeah, as a kid I had sort of shelves and shelves of different football, wrestling, gaming, music, film, magazines, I any magazine could go. WH Smith was like my mecca as a kid because I just, just loved magazines. So it was always the avenue I wanted to go in. Um, it's difficult though, even it's difficult now, especially because there's not as many magazines around. It was difficult then. I actually started in, in sales, media sales, which uh, it's not an avenue that's really around anymore, but I was kind of selling classified advertising um, in news in local newspapers whilst doing some sort of uh, editorial on the side uh, then I was doing the same for Esquire magazine which is a, a high-end men's magazine um, selling sort of advertorials as they're called in the business um, to clients and, and it was kind of that way that Kick was just starting at that point and they needed somebody to I went in basically as an editorial assistant um, to organize their competition so that kind of salesy pitch kind of worked um, and I was lucky that the, the team at the time was very small. Uh, the football knowledge, um, and maybe the first to admit, wasn't vast, whereas I was a bit of a stato geek. Um, I think I've lessened in, in my older age where kids and family sort of takes hold of you more than the, the football. But at that point, especially, I was a bit of a stato. So I think I, that helped my cause. And so I quickly went from organising competitions to basically taking on as much of the magazine as I could. Um, and worked my way up to, to now I'm, I'm the editor of the magazine, but it, it's quite a unique setup for Kit because I work from home. I pretty much write the whole magazine um, and send it on to designers where the publishers are based in Bath. So, yeah, it's quite unique. And not many magazines are set up like that where it's literally one editorial guy doing the whole thing. So, um, yeah, it's a lot of pressure on me to make sure that the content is always good, but uh, I'd enjoy that pressure. I, I try and slip QPR in there as much as I can, even though it's a, it's a bit of a Premier League magazine. But, yeah, so... A kind of a long-winded answer to your question, but that's kind of yeah how no, I got no, cool. to get into it. I think so. It kick is it similar to like uh, like shoot and match and stuff that we'd have had when we were growing up? I just, I've been of the same. I football magazines coming out my ears. My uh, my parents didn't really like me watching wrestling, 
but I still, you know, I still managed to get the magazines and the figures and all that sort of thing. So, did you start with you started with Kick before you got to the started doing the WWE Kids magazine? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah, as you say, Kick is very much in the in the mold of, of shoot and match. I mean, match is still going um, as a weekly magazine. Shoot just does uh, an annual, and I think it's they're still on the on. The, I got a website that they still produce content on, but as a magazine, it um, it folded a, a few years back. But yeah, it, it's of the same year. It's, it's monthly, so it's slightly different um, for Kick. So we're not we 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 can't be newsy. So there's no like match facts and results that we used yeah. to have as a kid. It's more kind of the fun and the heroes talking to them, talking to the footballers and having fun interviews with those um, rather than kind of what happened this week. Because we just, as a monthly, it, as you know, football changes um, and straight away. Um, I mean, in terms of WWE Kids, we've literally, I've, we took on the title, my publisher, which is called Kennedy Publishing. We took on the title in January. Um, so that's very new for me. Um, but I have worked across WWE for about 10 years now because working in kids' magazines is a crossover. So... I've worked across another magazine in our uh, stable called Craze Clubs, which is like a general boys magazine. So that covers gaming and films and, and sport and WWE is part of that. So I've always covered it for that um, and sort of other avenues like Gorilla Position, um, adult magazines like Fighting Spirit, Talk Sport I've done work for across WWE. Um, and I worked for WWE Kids at the previous publisher on a freelance basis. So it's kind of it was my idea. Once we knew there was an opportunity to take it on and make it our own, um, I was very much at the forefront of that. And yeah, since January, we've kind of changed the magazine a bit. We've kind of given it a bit more of uh, life, a bit sort of freshened up the look and stuff, and given it more of a, a fan's voice. And it's doing really, really well. Uh, everyone seems to be really happy with it, both the WWE and themselves in America. And the readers so yeah and i'm really enjoying kind of i've done kick for so long that it's kind of a nice sort of contrast to do one week this and one week that so and your two loves just sitting there side by side it's a it's a very nice contrast to be in yeah i can imagine it i can imagine it's quite a fun thing you know to be doing generally the um so like obviously well the thing is there's so much media around with social media and internet and everything magazines like you say shoot was one of the biggest magazines out there for football that's folded it's because there's so much content everywhere there's so much you know you can read everything on websites and online newsletters and radio shows and everything so i think the fact that kick is doing well and obviously it sounds like kick has adapted to maybe the change in times and gone to monthly rather than weekly and i think that's vital to keep i think it's important to keep books and magazines going as as long as possible um because i'd much rather see my kids reading like a magazine or a book than i would see them reading on the internet or a tablet yeah even now, though they might read the same thing it's, it's just like a thing for me i'd rather kind of sort of clinging on to the 90s maybe yeah no i'm, I'm completely with you I, i'm still a fan if i get on a train as i was yesterday i normally have a, a magazine in my bag because that's just and i've done that my entire life so it's yeah i'm very much with you that i'm still i hang on to the magazines and it is a different it's a different beast in 2019 there isn't as many football magazines you go into the mark into the wh smiths now and there's very few whereas when i was a kid you'd probably have a choice of six or seven different football magazines i think where kick um, does very well and where kids magazines do very well is that kids do still want that physical product 
so they can rip posters yeah. out of it. You know, we're not ashamed to say that the free gifts have a lot of do to do with our sales as well, because we obviously have the gift, the magazine, whether it's the whatever the popular cards are at the moment, which are match attacks or slam attacks for the WWE or just football kind of posters and stickers and things like that. So that obviously helps it. But they love the editorial content as well, the posters and the puzzles. And I think that's where magazines are kind of the, whereas magazines in somebody like me and kids magazines you're just attacked by this sort of plethora of color because there are so many um they i mean in the in our market there's kind of four or five kids football magazines that's very very competitive and but it shows there's still a market because we're all still going and all, all doing very healthy sales so I'm, I'm pleased to say that the generation even though we are living in a social world with the internet and social media and things like that kids are still clinging onto magazines so hopefully they'll take that through like we did yeah i hope i hope so so you're to blame for my youngest son constantly <laughs> asking for magazines because they've got the toy on the front or they've got something on the front. Yeah, that's awesome. Sorry about that. Yeah, and I'm everyone who has their kids wanting slam attacks and match attacks. Yeah, we don't we don't help on that front. We uh, we feed we feed their hunger for these kind of yeah. things. Yeah, well, just I think anything which can keep that sort of industry or that part of it going is a good thing for me. Yeah, no, um, so definitely. So. Obviously, a lot, of, a lot of people uh, sort of watching or listening will, will know you as part of Gorilla Position. Um, obviously, you were on Talk Sport 2 for a bit. Um, and I think you did, was it on Sky, the Sky Sports website at one point? Yeah, or is it, it was, yeah, it was part of Sky Sports Fold at one point, yeah. Which is massive for a, like a wrestling podcast because it's almost like the, the sort of unwanted stepchild, isn't it? Wrestling is... Within, within sort of sports and mainstream uh, radio stations and, you know, sports stations, they don't want to cover it. They don't want it sort of almost classed as a sport. So I think to get on to talk sport too was really good uh, achievement. And obviously, Gorilla position took off massively uh, yeah. from the start. No, it's, I mean, I have to give credit there to, to the host, James Delo. He's, he's kind of works with WWE for a long time. So he's, he knows the company very well, but yeah, he managed to push that podcast in all different avenues, and uh, he still is. In fairness, the, you know, we're still trying to to make it the biggest and best wrestling podcast in the UK, uh, which I believe it is. And obviously, I'm biased, but I believe that's yeah. what it is. Um, we did work with Talksport, we've worked with Sky Sports, um, I, but we kind of wanted to take it on our own kind of way and taking it in our own direction, which I think we're doing at the moment. Um, They've hopefully got some news coming relatively soon on a, an, on some bigger and better ideas we've got from the podcast because um, we've had to scale down slightly in the past year just due to schedules and things like that. But now we've got a, a fantastic following, you know, everyone on Twitter who follows and the kind comments we get, um, which is really nice to hear that people is the appetite for us to come back. Uh, as I said, the four of us were in the room for the first time this year. On Wednesday, which was was brilliant for us, because it's good, always good to catch up with the boys. Um, but good for everyone on, online who was who's been wanting, waiting to see us talk wrestling for yeah. for a couple of hours. Actually, ended up being it was quite a long show because we hadn't spoken for for, for so long. But um, yeah, we've done we've done really well. James has done really well in pushing the podcast. It's it's a big name um, in in the industry, which is fantastic, and we get some great interviews. I think the Iconics uh, are on the the latest episode with, with James. So yeah, we're really pleased how it's gone. We hope we, we do some bigger and better things. You know, we've done two live shows as well, which we want to do more of those because it's great to, to do that to a live audience and get some interaction um, from our listeners. So hopefully we can do more of those as well. But yeah, it's fingers crossed. It's, it's even bigger and better things for, for Gorilla Position in the future.
So Gorilla Positions, when you first started, it was at a time where there wasn't a lot of UK wrestling podcasts. Um, you know, podcasting generally was sort of kicking into gear and there, you know, you can find podcasts anywhere these days on anything. Um, but I mean, when you started, I don't think there was many British rep, like British based wrestling podcasts. Um, but I am really start interested how, how you got started like to that first show, how it became an idea and, um, you know, how it came about really. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I will, I, at the very beginning, I wasn't part of Gorilla Position. I was, I was a fan just like you. It was James and a journalist called Rob Lee um, who did the original incarnation. And I think anything starts, like these ideas, they start with anything, is kind of podcasts in their kind of, what they are is just two people or three people sitting in a room talking about what they love. And I think at one point you go, well, there's an appetite for this somewhere. You know, everybody sits in the pub or sits at home with their friends and they have the same conversations really. And it's just finding yeah. that niche in the market um, of maybe something different. Obviously, there are a lot of wrestling podcasts now. Uh, back then, Grey Position was kind of one of the originals where they'd recap Raw, they'd recap SmackDown, the pay-per-views, and just kind of chat through all the latest, what, what was going on in uh, not just WWE, but the wrestling world. So I think it, it just started as an idea for them that they were big fans. They wanted to share their views. I'm still liking now that if, if there's a week where we're not doing Gorilla Position or I'm not doing a podcast, I want to I want to talk to someone about it. You want to say, oh, did you see what Bray Wyatt did last week? You know, it's it's yeah. it's, it's, it's crazy. You want to talk about it. So I think there's always that appetite um, from fans to to want to talk about the latest goings on, especially in something like WWE. It's you know, it's for what want of a better term, it's storytelling. It's like a TV show. It's like The Walking Dead. It's like Game of Thrones. It's, it's something happens every week on on the show. So you want to talk about it and hopefully in, in a good light. We don't always have good weeks, but that goes with the same of any TV show. So, yeah, I think from the very beginning, it was just fans talking about what they love. I and mean, I mean, I'm the same with the podcast that I do as well. You know, Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast, podcast started because I love that era of football and it's retro. You know, nostalgia is a big part of who I am. I love looking back and and talking about the things that meant a lot to us when we were a kid and when we were growing up. And for me, football was better and it was more fun and more colourful back then. So that's what why that started. And and I, I think, again, it's just if you've got a passion for something and you like talking about it, why not do it and, and find a collective of people that look like the same thing and want to hear it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, the, you know, that's pretty much how I got started doing this was that I'd wanted to do it after what you know listening and watching to various podcasts like gorilla position um and i sort of wanted to do it and i wanted to do it and then every i'd sort of mentally come up with a reason not to do it yeah and i put it off and i put it off and then one day six weeks ago i just said right i'm doing it and i just sort of did it contacted some people and away to away you go like and i think it's quite it's easy to do in terms of if you want to do it, you can do it. You just need a webcam and a laptop, and you can do it from your house. Yeah. And obviously, you know, if it takes off and things take off like Gorilla Position did, you can expand it and you can get studios. And obviously, like, I'm, I'm interested. How, so how did you jump on board, or how did you come on board with the, with the show then? So they started off with James and Rob. Um, obviously, you, Skillet, and then Matt more recently joined. How did you become involved? Did you know the guys before? I kind of met James at a WWE event because once you start doing these sort of, you know, once you're on the circuit, I suppose you could call it, for, without sounding too sort of, you know, funny about it, it's you kind of meet 
the same people, the same journalists. You kind of get to know the guys and stuff. And I'd seen James at a few events and stuff. Um, he was looking to revamp the show, make it slightly different. It kind of uh, Rob was leaving the show anyway, so he wanted to find a, a new voice, a couple of new voices, and and just sort of mix up the formula a little bit. Um, the fact that I, you know, had a writing background anyway at the time was helped because we were doing stuff with Talksport, so that was kind of in what we were thinking as well. So yeah, it was literally just conversations with with James and getting to know him and, and becoming friends with him and knowing that we kind of come from the same era and the same point of view in wrestling. But at the same time, also have different opinions because there's nothing worse than having a podcast and everyone just agrees yeah. with each other. You kind of want to bring something different, um, which is why I think the blend works with us. You've got me, who's kind of the nostalgia, kind of baby face of the podcast. I very much talk about that. They call me the white meat baby face. Skillet, who kind of brings the color and the flavor, but also the complete vast knowledge that he has of the indie scene, which I'm, I'm first to admit that I'm very much a WWE fan. I'm not, I watched. Yeah indies here and there but all elite wrestling doesn't have me excited as much as it would the rest of the team because i'm i'm always been about the, the sort of razzmatazz and the americana of wwe so yeah we got together we did and we kind of did a sort of test couple of shows to see that we all worked and within weeks it kind of not only had our friendship grown and you could see that within the show but the the core chemistry between the three of us just really worked um and then matt coming on board as kind of the newsy kind of guy um, kind of worked because um, he's got a certain again he's much he's very droll his humor is yeah. probably a, a little bit drier than myself or skillet or james so again it kind of the it just added a little new flavor to the show and the four of us i mean i think it, it without blowing our own trumpets i think we work really well together we, we each add our own different elements to the show and um which is why I, I believe it's been a success so far yeah i agree i agree with that all of that i i, I I like Matt's sense, uh, sense of humour. It's very similar yeah. to mine, really, like really dry. Um, and again, like you say, the difference in personalities only adds to the uh, the chemistry of the whole show. Um, obviously, like you say, there's nothing worse than if you watch a podcast or listen to a podcast and it's two or three guys and they're just all saying the like, same thing. Or the one person speaks and they say, oh, I agree. Yeah, and I agree. And it's, it's but, you know... To me football and wrestling because we all like different things that's why there's different characters in wrestling you know not everyone likes Daniel Bryan not everyone likes Baron Corbin you know it's each to their own that's what makes WWE the, the product it is and, and then the same with football you're a Cardiff fan I'm a QPR fan that instantly gives us something different to talk about um, Neil Warnock gives us something even nicer to talk yeah. about because we both love the guy because he's done so well for both clubs but there's always a different element to, to these things and I think if you've got somebody there who's thinks exactly the same as you it's not going to work as a podcast so i think you definitely need that when you're you're doing something like this you need kind of a little bit of different flavors here and there of everyone who can give something different and something unique to each conversation yeah so before we move to uh, towards uh football i could ask you a couple of things about wrestling because uh, i've asked all my wrestling guests about this so admittedly i'm a bit of a uh, a mark as it were for bray wyatt I, uh, I've enjoyed all his work. I enjoy even when people were getting sick of his promos, he was still sort of must see for me. I still looked forward to his uh, segments and shows and stuff. So, what do you make of this new gimmick of the Firefly Funhouse? Uh, I'm very intrigued, very really intrigued by it. Um, I think Bray's hands are all over this, which is always a good sign, given the talent and uh, sort of creative direction to go into. 
I think that always helps if they're more involved and, and know what they're doing and it's coming from them. Um, I loved the initial kind of shock value of what he did because everyone was not expecting the the fun house and this kids TV show. It was out of nowhere and I absolutely loved it. You know, the whole yowie wowie thing. And, and it's so recognisable, like a format. Everyone instantly knew, OK, we know what this is coming from. But then even in the first episode, there was this subtle undertone to go, OK, where is this going? And we all know Bray, and I think Bray's been one of the most underutilised talents that they've ever seen. For me, he could have been the next Undertaker, and they've never quite got it right where they should have got it right. And he's been kind of pulled back, pushed forward, pulled back, and never quite got the right. Even only in NXT, I think we saw the best of Bray Wyatt. I don't think he's ever been given a run in WWE, which, which we all would have booked ourselves. But having seen what happened on Monday and this kind of further development with the mask and stuff and having I was there in London for um at the O2 watching it in the arena and you can um I was watching people's faces as it was doing and everyone had the same reaction like what uh, what is this uh, but in an absolutely brilliant way you know we sort of lambasted the WWE for not being creative enough and this it, it looks very creative my only concern is how it portrays once he's in the ring because you can have as many vignettes because WWE production value is better, second to none for me. The the way they did their vignettes, their sort of montages and things like that is, is always excellent. Um, it, it's all about now key how he does his promos in the ring, how his kind of ring work changes, or are we going to see the same kind of style? So hopefully it, it will continue in the same vein, but I'd be very intrigued to see how they move from this really intriguing vignette section that we see into. Uh, an on-screen character, both as a promo and, and in ring. I, I wonder if we'll even see him at uh, Money in the Bank on Sunday, which would be uh, very interesting indeed. Yeah, it's a weird one because I feel like him generally, they got in their own way in that they tried to, rather than him being the next Undertaker, and I think when people say that, they don't mean make him the Undertaker and supernatural and have powers. They meant just this mystic mystical character who's a bit different from everyone else a bit creepy and can be quite dominant and i think they got in their own way a bit and tried to give him this sort of the powers and the this and that and then they i think they never quite knew which direction they wanted to go in with him and like you say they sort of gave him a push pulled him back um so the first episode of the firefly fun house the first time i watched it i was furious and I was like, oh, my God, what are they doing? They've ruined him. Mm-hmm. But when I watched it the first time, I had the sound turned down quite low. and I wasn't really paying a great deal of attention. And then I went back and watched it a couple more times. And like you say, the first one was very, very subtle. Like the second one was word of the day is sociopath. So you yeah. know that it's, you know, then that that's the way it's going. But the, yeah, I was a bit knee jerk with it. And I uh, was not happy at first. But now I think. It's got. It's at the moment. I gotta be honest. The last few weeks, it's the one thing which I've looked forward to on the sort of on Raw. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm looking forward to like Money in the Bank. It's one of my favorite pay per views. I like you know AJ and Seth could be awesome. Samoa Joe and uh, Rey Mysterio as well is awesome. But the Bray Wyatt thing was the one thing which I was like, I really want to see what where that's going to go next. Um. If I was booking it, I would have him come into the men's money in the bank match towards the end, yeah. uh, destroy everyone, and take the case and disappear, yeah. and not say anything. And I, because I think that's just something completely different. It's never been done before. Make it 
interesting because I think sometimes, particularly recently, they've got into this habit of doing everything very formulaic, their TV and their matches. The breaks are after a dive. Yeah, do you know that? And yeah. I think, you know, obviously they've got to do that because they've got to have the ad breaks. So they don't want to do it at this vital time where, you know, something really important's happening. But it can get a bit, um, you know, a bit formulaic. No, no I don't want to say boring, but like it can be a bit frustrating, if, especially if you're seeing the same matches week in, week out on TV. So, yeah. What would you, what would you bring him in, at, like Bray Wyatt, if you, were, if you had to sort of book his first initial feud yeah. or... First think, appearance, what would you do with him? I think you've hit the nail on the head slightly there with, with him because if he's going to appear at Money in the Bank, he needs to appear in the actual Money in the Bank match rather than one of the title matches. I don't think that would make sense. And it would, you know, the, the arena goes dark, you see the clown mask or the yowie wowie and the logo or anything like that, and him taking the briefcase or costing somebody and, and making a difference in that match. It kind of it makes sense. I think whoever, whatever they do and whoever they feed him to next, he needs to be dominant. That's been Bray's problem um, probably throughout any feud he's done. He's never dominant. He's always kind of been the full guy. He'll get the upper hand in the promo, in the build-up, but once it comes to the match, he was always the loser. And I think that's what needs to happen. He needs to go through at least a couple of guys. They don't have to be big guys, mid-carders, just to, make, just to solidify the fact that he's now a dominant character. He's a threat to whether it's the world title or just the WWE in general, that's what they need to do. So I'm, in, you know, I'm not sure who that that person is right now. Maybe someone like Ricochet who could probably take a couple of losses because he's new and people are still just liking his ring style rather than his character. And maybe that could happen. Um, but yeah, whatever he needs to do, he needs to be dominant because that's been the problem with Bray Wyatt the whole way through. You know, for me, the tipping point was the cockroach thing at WrestleMania. It was yeah, one of the most ridiculous things that they've ever done weird decision as well because the the actual feud was pretty good up yeah. until the sort of that and the house of horrors stuff house of horrors yeah i mean the thing is i i know what they do with the undertaker is obviously ridiculous but as wrestling fans because we've been watching taker for what 30 years now almost we kind of stupidly accept that he's the dead man and the lightning yeah. and and we've kind of just gone, okay, that's fine. And even then, it's still kind of subtle now. They don't go all out. There's the odd lightning bolt and things like that. But they went too far with Bray. There's, there's a believability and a suspense of belief that we as wrestling fans do every week. And it went too far uh, with the cockroaches. And you say the House of Horrors match was just laughable, to be honest. Um, I didn't mind the stuff with Matt Hardy because we'd already established that the Matt Hardy character was a kind of fun. Everyone knew it was a bit silly and, and he was kind of, it made sense for Bray to get involved in that. But now they've kind of given him in that very long break because he wasn't even injured for the uh, second oh. part of his rest. So they've, they've obviously left him on TV, off TV for a while for a reason. Um, so that's, that's make the most of it now and, and make him a dominant force going forward. And, and, you know, the kids, a couple of the kids that were around me on Monday night were scared by this and that's nothing wrong with that because you know, the Undertaker used to scare the hell out of me as a kid. So let's bring that element into it as well. Yeah, and I think when you say, like, the Undertaker used to scare, scare us as kids, but also you'd be glued to the screen yeah. and you yeah. wanted to see him every single time. So, I, like you say, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think um, the last thing I'll say on Bray is that I think his master plans need to work and he needs to win. 
you know, he needs to win consistently. Yeah, yeah, he um, needs to be a believable force and a believable character rather than somebody who just takes a loss for the next guy they want to push, basically. Yeah, and he's got the ability and the character that he could be, you know, one of their biggest stars if they book him right. Yeah, oh, completely, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and he's and he's a wrestling mind, you know. That's what I mean. He this all comes from him. He's got a mind for the business. Obviously, he comes from that background of his dad being in it and IRS and things like that. So the Rotunda family are a big name in the wrestling business. So he's got all that in his locker, and he's got a character. You know, it's so hard these days to to establish yourself as, especially the type of character that Bray Wyatt is as well. Uh, we wwe so it's to have that character now and still be relatively believable is really hard so they need to run with it now and really make him the the force that we always wanted him to be from when he was called out from nxt yeah and i think i always say that there's um these days there's no such thing as a casual fan i think it's a myth because everyone's got the internet and if you like wrestling or you like your favorite tv show you look at even if you don't look at spoilers, you look at the latest news yeah. and you look at what's happening or what's the upcoming storylines or who's joining the cast, whatever it may be. So it's exactly the same for wrestling. So all wrestling fans of all ages are smartened up to the business and what's going on. So I think it is difficult. It's more difficult for these guys to get characters over. And I think it's even more difficult to get a character like that over which is a bit more out there and a bit different to everything else. But he does it very well. Um, so moving on to football, um, you've got your Alive and Kicking podcast, which is uh, based... Well, you tell me what it is. Go on. Well, it's, it's a trip down memory lane, really. It's looking back at the, as we call the decade that changed football forever, which I, you know, is the line I always roll out because... For me, if you look at football in 1990 and then look at football in 1999, it's 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 so different. It's and I don't want to say almost a different sport, but because of the money and the changes that we had in that decade, I think it's different to any other. You know, 2001 and 2010, you know, other than the kits and the players and the haircuts, is re- relatively the same product. Whereas in the 90s, it changed so much. Just, and and everyone who grows up in whatever era thinks that they're decade is the best people would say the 80s the it's just a natural human thing to do but for me you know i was so in 1990 i was i was seven and the world cup happened and that was kind of my sort of you know introduction to football i still remember crying when england went out the world cup and then i kind of grew up then in that decade so it, it means a lot to me football changed so much and it there were so many characters and mavericks and funny stories and because we weren't exposed to so much, which is, you know, I love how much football's on telly now because you can watch it every day of the week and higher the season. But in 1990s football, you couldn't. So you still had these unknown characters that come out of nowhere, like a Toto Scalacci. You know, it, it's, it is, for me, the, the best decade of football ever. And I wanted to celebrate this. And when we started, well, it started as a book. I wrote a book called Alive and Kicking, which was basically a fun book on looking back at the the times the stickers the toys the music everything rolled into one in kind of like a coffee table book and we turned that into a podcast and at the time there wasn't really anything else celebrating that decade people i think were still clinging on to the fact the 90s wasn't that far away when we you know we're looking at 30 years ago now the 1990 world cup so um since then there's obviously been a few more um come up and 90s is becoming more and more of a decade that people sort of revel in so yeah and that's what we do on the podcast we had we've had so many former footballers from the from the decade as well come on and chat to us about their memories um but usually it's myself um two other guys joel young 
and Matthew Chris who um, it's quite nice again you have to find the right chemistry and they're a couple of years older than me so their memories of the 90s uh, are slightly hazier due to sort of growing up at a different time whereas mine because I was slightly younger so there's that kind of like, sort of juxtaposition between the three of us which is kind of nice um, and, and you know week to week we just look back at certain elements of the decade I and mean, we've done over a hundred episodes now so there's a lot of stuff that we've covered and um, you know there's still there's still stories to tell so hopefully we'll we'll keep going we've got a live episode uh, at the jumpers for goalposts festival coming in august so that'd be really fun as well so yeah it's a I, it's just again a passion of mine i get to chat non- 90s nonsense with a couple of friends every week really well you live in the dream <laughs> live live show at the festival as well like i'm i was born in the 80s so um like a lot of my influences and favorite bands and stuff come from the 90s yeah uh, and it was just an awesome era like even now my kids will try and put stuff on the radio when I'm on that not absolute nineties thanks and I have to fight for it. And I yeah. I usually win. Um <laughs> I gotta say. I don't win on the T V but I win on the yeah. radio in the car. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm with you three year old today, they rule the roost, so Peppa Pig rather than Fun House in my house, yeah. <laughs> no, well I do you know what I, I would say to you, I would say enjoy it while you can because I got two teenagers and a ten year old and oh it goes quick, yeah, and I, I can... It goes real quick. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it was only, like, 2004, my oldest boy was born, and I feel like that was just yesterday. It's scarily... It just goes, like... Even though you know it's going quick as yeah, it's going, yeah. you just... When, if, when the birthdays come around, and I'm like, oh, gosh. I'm already with you. The fact that she's three scares the life out of me, so, yeah, I can't even imagine when giving it when she's ten, so, yeah. I will appreciate. I will appreciate the times uh, she's she's not so crazy. <laughs> yeah, I think they they chill out a bit, don't they? Once they get to sort of yeah. four or five, yeah, just a little bit more calm. Not much, yeah. but just yeah. a little bit. Well, they got they, you know they they become themselves then, don't they? And they, they yeah. and actually, you know, they're more they can lead into themselves, and then their own personalities start to shine through, which is really nice to see. And she, yeah, she's a she's a proper little madam, but we love her. Yeah, that's it. The, when they once they start finding themselves and their personality, it's, uh, it can be it's a really cool time. I gotta say, like one of my favorite periods of my whole life was when they were sort of four, five, six. Stressful, yeah. but yeah, always uh, stressful. Yeah, cool. always stressful. Yeah, yeah. Like alive and kicking is a really un- unique idea, and it's, it is right up my uh, right up my alleyway of interests. Um, and like you say, maybe I'm looking in the wrong place, but I don't see many other podcasts or channels other than like your absolute 90s which are dedicated to sort of 90s uh you know culture and football and stuff um, and i suppose because in those in the 90s like you said italian 90 was the same for me i'm a couple of years older than you but like 1990 world cup was the one which really where i got the bug of football um from a like i think i would would have been playing it already but just yeah watching it is just a whole different animal uh and like my kids the younger one caught the bug with wales in the euros a couple of years yeah. ago yeah but he was already playing football and he loved it and he constantly play it non-stop but seeing wales in the euros and getting to the semi-finals and seeing sort of players he was familiar with i think that really hit him and he you know he even i think was it two two years ago god that's gone quick yeah nearly three Nearly three, yeah. And, um, yeah, he got he caught the bug of watching 
certainly like Wales and Cardiff. Yeah, um, it's the same, especially if your national team does well, like England did in 1990. It kind of, you, you go on that ride, don't you? So, I mean, my, I always say my favourite World Cup, bizarrely, though, is 1994. Um, and England weren't even in that. But for me, the, the colour, again, Americana, as I mentioned earlier, is, is something that always attracted me. Has the greatest football kit of all time in it in the USA away show, which for anyone who listens to me on any platform, I must mention that at least once a day. Um so, yeah, it, that was my favourite World Cup game. And I had, I had the Brazil shirt. I've still got it sitting it somewhere in my office as well. So, yeah, that, just the, the players. I always say the players, the calibre of players of the 94 World Cup is ridiculous, the, the amount of superstars that were there. there. But, again, the whole decade had some, some of the best players of all time. You know, we're, we're blessed to see Messi and Ronaldo. But if you go to the 90s and see the calibre of players that were there, you know, your, your, your Gascoins, your Shukas, your your Burkamps, your Klinsmans, just the Cantonars who changed the, the whole Premier League for what it is today. is it's, Again, it, it changed so much, but there, there's so much to love about that, that era. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I could, I could talk about it for hours and hours, the 90s, like music and football of the yeah, 90s. Well, you, you know, the music, it's, you know, somebody asked me on Twitter the other day about if you could, if you could relive one year of the 90s, what would it be? And it, it took me a, more seconds than I thought. But then it came to me, I mean, 1996, it kind of, that was the year, you know, England as good as they maybe have ever been and not, not winning Euro 96 and that team of absolute, you know, from one to 11, almost world-class players, not mm. quite turned out to be world-class managers, but um, such an amazing team set to a backdrop of, you know, the Britpop era. Um, yeah. You know, we all had bowl haircuts. We all wanted to be from, from Manchester and join in the blur of the Oasis. The Spice Girls were, you know, the coolest thing on the planet for some reason. And we all fancied one of them. It was kind of, you know, it, it, the 1996 summer, I always say, it was just very, very unique. Much like how people may look on last summer where England got to, when England do well, Somehow the country just seems to to take it on, don't they? And I think when they'll look yeah. at 2018 a bit like it, but 1996 for me was uh, was a special, special year. Yeah, and I think because, like for me as well, at the age I was at, I was fully aware of everything going on. Yeah, I was well into my music and I was well into my football, and it just all meshes together to create, like you say, it was just a very memorable, uh, memorable year, memorable time. I could, uh, like I said, I could talk about that for hours. But um, the other, I just wanted to quickly get you on uh, your other podcast, which is Wrestling Origins. Yeah. Um, which I've got to be honest, I've only just discovered uh, sort of recently as I was getting ready to speak to you today, um, which again looks on paper like a really unique idea. Is that, a, is that a, first, what is it? And is it a weekly show? Yeah, it's very, it's very new. So that's why, yeah, you might only just discovered it. Um, I think, well, the basis of it, where we weren't doing so many guerrilla position shows, it was just an outlet to chat more wrestling, to be honest. Uh, and Joel, who I mentioned is part of our um, Alive and Kicking show, is a massive wrestling fan. And he wanted the opportunity to just uh, chat some graps uh, at some point as well. And uh, so we had a little, we had a talk. We were trying to find a niche in the market, really, because I think of all subjects in podcasts, I think wrestling, there are so, so many podcasts. Yeah, um, some, and there's some great ones out there. The, um, Parts Unknown, give that a shout. The Kick Out, um, the Pro Wrestling Show on TalkSport. There's some great shows out there. But, and then and there's some very not so great shows as well. So we were trying to find uh, a niche. And he just happened to mention me a couple of weeks before that, that he was watching Seth Rollins' um, NXT days. Um and his first kind of appearances in, in WWE um, television. And I kind of thought that might be a nice angle, sort of researched if there was anything in it. So basically what we do is we discuss wrestling firsts 
um, whether it be a, the first WrestleMania, the first SummerSlam, uh, the last show we did was the first ever WWE draft in 2001, obviously, because we had the Superstar Shake-Up recently, so we kind of tie it to what's going on in, in the wrestling world. We'll do a Money in the Bank show next week, because uh, Joe was away this week, so we couldn't do one before. Um, and we've also done, I think we've done one show on a Superstar, which we're going to do more of, so where we look at back at their their first WWE matches, their, their sort of beginnings in the wrestling world, their origins, if you like. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of looking back. Um, while also talking about the, the modern product and, and what we like and what we don't like as well, um, previewing show. So, yeah, the, the sort of the essential, the, the sort of selling point is it's the first place for wrestling first is is like is what I call it. So, yeah, it's it, it's been we've watched some really interesting shows. We watched the first Starcade, um, which was oh. If you want a different era, the early 80s, that was a hard, hard watch for somebody who's used to the razzmatazz. You know, I got into wrestling in my first memories of kind of SummerSlam 90, Hogan Earthquake. That's kind of the first pay-per-view I remember watching. Um, and this is, that was very much wrestling from a bygone era. But fun because it's nice to to go back and look at something I wasn't aware of before. And then to look at other wrestling shows that I, that I do love looking back on. So, yeah, it's essentially it's looking at the firsts of wrestling, really. It's a, re- it's a really cool idea, um, and when, like when you think of it, I suppose when you, if you run out of firsts, you can just do like you say, like origins of characters and yeah, stories, shows, storylines. Exactly, so, yeah, it's like a big old thing. Yeah, we're um, gonna play, we're gonna play on as much as we can and then stretch the thing oh, because yeah, because I think there's legs in it. As you say, you can kind of adapt it to to as much as you want. Oh, definitely. I um I was saying to uh, I had um. I don't know if you'd come across her, uh, Laura Morrow, who's like a UK, uh, she's a writer, she is, but she's also like a bit of a wrestling podcaster. Yeah, man, I don't know. Um, from UK. And um, I was saying to her, like, I could do a, just a podcast on Bray Wyatt just for like an hour, just discussing yeah. his character from his debut in NXT and all the way up and all the different storylines where they missed and messed up. I just trying to find someone who's that interested in him to do it with me <laughs> or you can you know that you can start with bray white and then do that on, on it could be like a power profile yeah, or superstar other. profiles and, and go to others one but bray is a great <laughs> to start with because as we've already discussed you know there's there's so many missteps in his character and and mm-hmm. there's some i don't want to do him a disservice because there are some top top moments that he's had as well but for the majority i think fans like yourself who's, who's clearly a big bray white fan would be disappointed that we haven't seen more of that, like more of him as WWE champion, even more of the Wyatt family. My, one of my favourite moments was him and Triple H, that tease they did when he kind of yeah, stroked and they never, out. And never then, paid it off. And then they never. Never, never pulled the trigger on it. So, yeah, that would definitely be a, a lot of legs. That'd be a good podcast to do. Yeah, one of the um, the most memorable moments, actually, is when they faced off the Wyatt family against the Shield. Yeah. And they were stood on opposite sides of the ring and they hadn't even touched each other and the crowd was going crazy. Yeah. And even that, was like a very short feud. I think they only had one pay-per-view match, elimination yeah. chamber, maybe two. So you know, it's it's just it's just weird. How they never quite the Wyatt family. They never quite got behind them. Um, so yeah, I did like um, some fight, some sort of it was called Fightful Books it with Fightful.com on their sort of Patreon service um, where we did like some. Like book, create fancy book, and if you like, and we did one for I think WrestleMania, and that was loads of fun. 
and that was my first sort of delve into any sort of podcasting or anything. Um, so I think I'm going to bring back sort of on my channel like a combination of that and like you say, like the perhaps going through different characters and yeah. where they could have gone and where they should have gone. And definitely, yeah, there's definitely uh, uh, some 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 work to do on that for sure. Yeah. Um. So just before we uh, sort of start to finish up, let's go to a bit of footy. What? Um, how do you feel as a QPR fan right now? <laughs> um. Oh, God, that's a that's a sixty-four million dollar question. Um, slightly optimistic, actually. I mean, it was a funny old season that we had. Um, terrible, terrible start, losing the first four games, and then that uh, sort of annihilation at the Hawthorns where we lost seven-one to West Brom. Um, great bit in the middle where McLaren brought in some great line players, and we kind of, at one point, were kind of sniffing around the playoffs um, up until Christmas, um, and then we kind of tailed off. I mean, I think the championship is an it's a horrible league. It's a in the best possible way. It, it's a slog. It's one of the hardest leagues to get out of, um, especially if you've got a limited budget. Obviously, we were under a transfer embargo in January as well, so we couldn't bring anyone in. Um, I don't think McLaren was ever really the right fit for Queens Park Rangers. Um, I think he's a coach. I think he's. We've learned over the years that bar a very good spell in Holland and what he did in Middlesbrough, he's never really pulled up any trees anywhere else. You know, he played it at Derby, he never worked at Newcastle. And again here, it, I think he was too rigid in his formations, too rigid in his selections. The players looked kind of dead after Christmas because he wouldn't really sort of mix up the squad. Um, so I, I sensed his time was going to be up. Um, he relied too heavily on the lone players as well. So, you know, we've got Mark Warburton now. Um, interesting. Um, good. I like him. I do yeah. Really like him. I, th I think for what we are as a club now, it's a hard sell. Um, we've got no money. We, we're relying on a, a, a very impressive bunch of youngsters, but they are a bunch of youngsters at the end of the day, and they will need nurturing, and they will need a few experienced heads in there. We've let some already some very experienced pros go this week who uh, may have been part of that, but they clearly are not now because their contracts are up. So I think Warburton is the right guy for the, so the job that was at hand. It's of the options that were given to us at the time when McLaren went, you know, you're looking at guys like Tim Sherwood and Michael Appleton, I was, I would have stayed very, very clear, especially Tim Sherwood, who I would want nowhere near the club, to be honest, from looking at his CV and, and just his whole profile. He's just not for me. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm optimistic with Warburton. He's already said there are a lot of the right things, which is easy to do, I know. But he's if you can do pretty much what he did at Brentford, which is a bit of a bad word for QPR fans, um, at Loftus Road, then I think we'll be happy. I mean, we've got, we know who we are. You know, if we stay up and have mid-table obscurity next season, that's a good season for us. We're not going to push the playoffs. We're not going to be promoted. Um, you know, the teams coming down look pretty strong. Cardiff yourselves, if they've got Neil Warnock, we know how well Neil Warnock knows this league. We know firsthand how Neil Warnock knows this league. So, uh, you know, Cardiff will be a threat already. Tony Pulis has left Middlesbrough this morning, so they'll get maybe Chris Hewton. They'll be a threat. So, West Brom, you know, we're not going to be, we're not at the top of the table. So, we we know where we are. And I'm slightly optimistic to answer your original question. I think um, the thing is, when Cardiff got promoted the uh, season before last, we had just avoided relegation through Warnock coming in and sort of saving the day. And we were in a very much the same position. We didn't have any money. We were trying to get rid of players on high wages. Uh, we would have been happy with avoiding relegation and mid-table safety would have been the aim. And then we went up. So I think, like you said, QPR have got a lot of 
good young players. Yeah. I think, however, the championship can be the worst league out of all the leagues if you've got really young players who are inexperienced. Yeah. I think in League One, they can do very well. And even in the Premier League, where there's a little bit more time and it's not much of a, so much of a slog, sort of three games every week. I think in some ways, young players can flourish a bit better in the Premier League, whereas the Championship is it's like game, 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 it's game. It's an, yeah, it's you, really, if players hit a bit of bad form, it's difficult for them to get out of it, whether it's a goal scorer not scoring or a midfielder or whoever not playing very well. I think it's very difficult to break that cycle. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we, we've got a guy, Ibrebio um, Easy, who's who was given the number 10, 10 shirt at the start of last season, which at QPR means a lot to us through the history of Stan Bowles and Roy Wegley and, 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 and other Simon Stainrod, Rodney Marsh, all that lot. Um, a lot of pressure was on him and he started the season very well, but, you know, he's 21. He's not ever had a full season in the championship. You know, by March... He was looking. He played too many games. You, you've got to balance the youngsters because they're not going to be brilliant. We're, we're, and also, we're a club like QPR. The youngsters that are going to be superstars are already at the Chelsea's, the Arsenal's. They already tapped them up. We know we've got a certain caliber of player, and they've got to be given a chance. And yeah, I agree with you. I think Championship is relentless. Is the word I always use. You have Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday all the time, and it's about balancing the players, which I think Warburton will be very, very good at. I think if we can get a few experienced pros in there to help the youngsters. Um, then I think he'll maybe to balance the squad a lot better. And we've got a, a kid called Elias Chair who's done very well at Stevenage this season. And people are already saying it's going to be the saviour of the club. And it's like you've got to give the guy a chance. You know, Joe Lumley, yeah. who's been outstanding this season in goal, he's still very young. And we've got there's a, a whole team under there under Chris Ramsey in the academy that are, are looking very good. But we don't want to burn them out before you know that they become the players that they could become. It's it's really a tricky way. To, to find that balancing act and, and luckily I think we found a manager who will be able to do that Yeah I think um, you just got to be careful I think and the fans are the worst for it in many ways oh, that yeah. you see like an exciting young player especially if it's a hometown boy and you think he's going to take over the world Yeah, but you know some of these kids are kids and, and they, they, and they can't all be they can't all be Kylian Mbappe's, you know. Mbappe is, no, is, is almost a one-off or a Jaden Sancho, you know. These players are special players. Not everyone, and this is why they're playing for the top clubs in Europe and, you know, they're not playing for QPR because they're of that very special talent. You've got to give these guys, and, and social media does not help, you know, no. young players because they're, uh, you know, they're trolling out there. As soon as they have a bad game, they'll have 100 comments going, oh, get this guy out of the team, he, you know, he's this, he's that. And after, you know, can't judge a player on one game. You, you know, you can't you know, label him the best that there ever was after a brilliant game and then wonder why he's not doing it three days later. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. No. I think I'm going to, um, I'm putting together at the moment, uh, ready for July, hopefully, um, a few series of podcasts and interviews on mental health in sport and particularly the pressure on football players and athletes and young football yeah. players and athletes um, because it's something which interests me because my two boys expect the old one sort of 14 and he's sort of in the in and around like that sort of academy level and he's a goalkeeper so he always gets the blame for everything and uh i mean something which interests me because i see people like raheem sterling who's i think is handled it excellently and then i wonder how many of these players who are sort of 18 to 20 who get all this abuse and this that and the other every week you know how does it affect them how do they deal yeah. with the 
the abuse, the pressure of playing every week. If you're at a Premier League club, you're expected to perform no matter the age. So it is something which uh, interests me. So I've got a few ex-players and journalists and doctors, sports psychologists coming on. So I'm quite looking forward to that. Yeah, so it's, a massive, it's a massive pressure. I, it's you know I don't envy these kids coming through because we had that with AZ last season. A lot of people were calling him lazy, um, and there were some racial undertones to it. And then people Jeez. turn thing people turn things into things that they probably aren't even meaning at that time because social media can be taken that way. And this all goes on this young twenty year old who's trying to just make a living for himself and make a name for himself in the game. So yeah, I think there's. It's it's just not it's really the pressure to be I think I think some people just don't realise especially those who just you know keyboard warriors which you think it's easy to write a tweet out to somebody who's you know worked all their life to be in the position that they're in and not they don't take a moment to think hang on he's had a bad game he doesn't need your abuse um, and this so yeah I'd, I'd be interested to hear the to hear those podcasts and and, and see and, and get opinions of, of what it's like for these guys. Yeah, I think um, people forget, don't they, that the, these guys are human beings, and a yeah, lot of them, totally. young, you know, most footballers retire or are looking towards retirement by the age of sort of thirty-ish, 30, on you know, mid thirties. Yeah. So like, even then, like, I don't consider myself. I'm thirty-seven. I don't consider myself old. I'm sure my kids do. <laughs> but like, if I was a footballer, I'd be, you know, retired now. Yeah. Um, so like. You know, it's a lot of pressure for young people. Pressure. And like I think about what I was like, 18, 19, 20, 21. And I think I wouldn't have been able to deal with that. Uh, it would be difficult. Absolutely. Yeah, really. dealt with it very badly. Yeah. I'd have been in the papers every week. <laughs> um, right. Thanks, Ash, for coming on the show. I do really appreciate it. I know you're a busy guy with your podcasting and your editing and stuff. So I do really appreciate you uh, fitting it in. And you are obviously more than welcome to come back on anytime you want to talk a bit of 90s. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind, actually, if you uh, further down the line, perhaps we'll uh, discuss some 90s music. And, uh, oh, yeah, well, I could be, like, yeah. Do the a good bit of that. The, yeah, the good and the bad, yeah. Everything from Scatman, John, to Oasis. Yeah, I can do that, definitely. Cool, yeah, I'd like to do that uh, further down the line. Um, so you guys can follow Ash on Twitter. What's your Twitter account? Uh, at... At Ash, Ash Rose UK on Twitter and on Instagram. So, yeah, follow me there. I'm always chatting football wrestling normally. So, yeah, give us a shout. And you can follow all his, uh, his podcasts and magazines, which are in his Twitter bio listed. Yeah, yeah. there's a long, long list. list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then eventually you'll get to his tweets down the bottom. Yeah, somewhere along there, yeah. Um, you can check out all our previous shows on our YouTube channel or our Facebook page, uh, it's Ace Podcast Nation on Facebook and YouTube. Sorry, and uh, Twitter is at AceCast underscore Nation. Uh, you can request show or send in question for guests on the Facebook page. Uh, YouTube is the quickest way to get our contact content, so please uh, go and subscribe. And uh, just generally come say hi on Facebook, Twitter, and like. Uh, cheers again, Ash, for coming. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And uh, cheers to everyone for watching, and we will see you next time. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. 
Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.